0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 28 through 45. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated.
1: Good morning. Uh, My name is Ted Sin, as Damian said. And I'm the lead pastor of New City Central. I'm not pulling out a gun, so don't get nervous. Um, I'm just pulling this silly thing out so that I can see my iPad. Uh, but I serve as lead pastor of New City Central. and What that means is I get to uh, contribute here, at, uh, the lead pastor of New City Orlando, which means I get to contribute here at New City Central. And my primary contribution is teaching uh, here in worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, The sermon text that was just read to you uh, is somewhat abnormal. I I hope you realize that as it was being read. Uh, The text read to you contains three different episodes uh, in in the life and story of Jesus Christ. Uh, There are three connected episodes, but they're definitely distinct episodes. You you heard about Jesus in Peter's house. Uh, You heard Jesus and Peter's conversation in the wilderness. And you heard uh, Jesus's interaction with uh, a leper. And ordinarily what we would do at New City is we would take one of these three stories and we would spend an entire sermon uh, unpacking all of the details or the most of the details from that story. But what we're going to do today is a little different, and that is we're going to zoom out and and instead of uh, studying one story, we're going to study a thread or the thread that runs through all of those stories. So Mark, as he wrote his gospel account of Jesus's life, uh, assembled it and arranged it in the way he did. And he used uh, vocabulary. He used uh, phraseology. He used grammar to help us not just look at one story at a time, uh, but to learn how to look at threads that run through many stories. In fact, uh, by the end of this morning, I will have referenced quite a bit of Mark chapters one through five, because the thread I want to show you this morning uh, is, I believe, the most important theme in the first five chapters. And, and having read it this week in CBR, uh, I want us uh, to, to consider it uh, again now together. Here's the theme. Here's the big idea. This is what I was struck by uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as I, along with you, read through the gospel of Mark. Here it is. The core concern in Jesus's life and ministry has to increasingly become the core commitment in my life and ministry. So think about it. Uh, More than anything else in our day and age, we're called Christians, Christians. the, the, the term, the label Christian is found in the New Testament, and, and as such, it means of Christ or little Christ or related to Christ. And so as a Christian, to have congruence in our lives, his core concern has to be our core commitment. Uh, further, in the Bible, uh, far more than being called Christians, we're called disciples And as you know, the word disciple secondarily means learner, but it primarily means follower, imitator. Little Christ, act like Christ. A disciple of Jesus imitates Jesus. Uh, The core concern in his life has to increasingly become the core commitment of my life for me to have integrity and congruence, alignment with him. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through these five chapters, focusing primarily on the verses read and then alluding to and mentioning other passages. I want to see three things. First, I want us to see very clearly the core concern in Jesus's life and ministry. Then I want us to see the core commitment in a disciple's life and ministry. And finally, I want us to see Uh, that what what has to increasingly be the core communication in our life and ministry is what Jesus communicated as his core as well. I hope to have that third point make a little more sense and flow better at the end of the sermon. Core concern, core commitment, core communication. Okay, are you ready? Get your worship folder insert out. We're gonna jump in uh, to this section in uh, chapter one. Jesus's core concern in his life and ministry. Go to verse 38. Uh, Jesus clearly states his core concern this way. Let us go on to the next town so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In verses 36 and 37, Simon, or Peter, is trying to compel Jesus to go back into Capernaum. He's trying to compel Jesus to go back into Capernaum to to continue the healing ministry that, that was bringing Jesus and bringing Peter considerable fame. But Jesus' response to Peter's attempts to manage him was that he, based on his prayer time with the Father, had no intentions of going back into Capernaum to continue a healing ministry and had every intention to go into other towns to expand his teaching ministry. Now I don't want you to miss what I'm saying and I don't want you to miss the vernacular I'm using. Mark makes it clear. Teaching, preaching, and calling for repentance and faith wasn't Jesus's only concern, but it was his core concern. Teaching wasn't Jesus's only assignment from the Father, but it was the assignment around which every other assignment had to orbit. So now think about these three stories together. We know from verse 28 of chapter one that because of Jesus's authoritative teaching in the synagogues, And because he had cast out from a man an unclean spirit, uh, his fame was spreading rapidly through Galilee. And so as his fame is skyrocketing, he, verse 29, walks into Peter's house and instantly relieves Peter's mother-in-law of a fever that had her bedridden. And so it's the Sabbath. And while people couldn't move fast, word was spreading fast about Jesus. In about three or four hours... He had shown his powerful teaching. He had shown his power to exercise demons. He had shown his his power to heal. And verse 32 tells us that at sundown, uh, as the Sabbath came to a close, uh, at sundown, when people could walk however far they wanted and however fast they wanted, at sundown, when, when people could carry whatever or whoever they wanted, they, verse 32, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons In verse 33, the whole city was gathered at his door. In verse 34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Verse 35 is the start of the next story, which begins early Sunday morning, the day after that Sabbath. And in that story, you see Jesus getting up very early in the morning. You see Jesus going out into the wilderness. You see Jesus connecting with the father in prayer. In Mark, Jesus always prays when he needs refreshment from life for life, excuse me, and when he needs direction for ministry. Verse 36 says that Peter literally searched for, uh, excuse me, it says it searched for, but literally hunted for and chased down Jesus. It's a word for arresting somebody. And as we've said, Jesus would not be controlled by Peter. He would not be controlled by what Peter valued. Jesus was compelled by the core concern that he shared with the father. Verse 39, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It wasn't Jesus's only concern, but Mark makes it really clear that it was his core concern to preach the gospel, to teach the scriptures and to call his audience to repentance and faith. And when needed, Jesus would cast out demons. Think about it. So that people would have the capacity to understand, respond to, believe, and be filled by what he taught. The third story in our sermon text is one of the most fascinating stories in all of Mark. Uh, this, this story, in my mind, makes this thread about Jesus' core concern crystal clear. In verse 40, Jesus is traveling uh, between Galilean towns. He's advancing his teaching ministry. And a leper comes up to Jesus, and and the Greek verb verb tense reads something like this. Uh, It it, it should sound like this to our ears. The leper kept on begging Jesus. The leper kept on falling down to his knees in front of Jesus. Uh, The leper kept on saying to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. So imagine the scene. Everyone in Galilee, verse 28, knew that Jesus had the power to heal. But for weeks, if not months, verse 39, Jesus had focused on preaching. And a leper, verse 40, shatters every law and every norm and he races up to Jesus and he's begging Jesus. We we should see him begging continually, bowing down before him continually, saying over and over and over, if you will, want desire wish you can you are able you have the power to make me clean the leper is saying i know you can do this but the leper doesn't know if jesus wants to do this so stop and think why would he say that why would he wonder that why would he approach jesus that way because to him and everybody in Galilee, the core concern of Jesus was teaching and casting out demons and not healing. It wasn't Jesus' only concern, but it was his core concern. And until you get that, you cannot understand why the beggar had to keep begging, the, the leper had to keep begging, and you can't understand Jesus' words to the leper. Our preconceived and prevailing notion of Jesus is that he sought out people to heal. But Mark makes it really clear. Jesus sought out people to convert. And those in need of physical healing had to seek out Jesus and often beg him for that healing. Now, in verse 41, thanks be to God, in all seriousness, thanks be to God, Mark says that Jesus was, quote, moved with compassion and literally threw out his hand and seized the leper and said, I'm willing, I want to be clean. But this is the fascinating part to me. After Jesus finally gives in to the continual begging of the leper, he says, verse 43, look there, he sternly charged him to say nothing to anyone. The Greek translated as sternly charged is the word for snorting mad. It's used of Jesus when he cleanses the temple, and it's used of Jesus when he's at Lazarus' tomb and mad at hell. It, 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 when used in in context where someone is speaking, it's usually translated criticize sharply, scold, admonish sternly. And our 2015 preconceived notion of Jesus would expect anything from him other than snorting mad but why was he emotional? Why was he animated? Why did he sternly command that this man keep this healing quiet? Because if he doesn't, this healing is gonna bring distraction to the core concern of Jesus's ministry, which is teaching. This is what verse 45 tells us, that the leper did not obey Jesus, but instead told everyone about Jesus's power to heal. And verse 45, here it is, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town But had to stay in the wilderness. Jesus, based on his core concern, wanted to be in the various towns. He wanted to be in the synagogues. He wanted to be in with the Old Testament scrolls. And he wanted to be proclaiming the gospel and he wanted to be teaching the scriptures. But instead, he spent considerable energy dealing with aggressive crowds who wanted him to have healing as his core concern instead of teaching. Story one, everyone wants Jesus uh, to be a popular healer. Story two, the father wants Jesus to be an authoritative teacher. Story three, Jesus is willing to heal, but he knows that physical healings can actually distract from spiritual teaching. Now, as I said Uh, this thread that reveals Jesus's core concern in life and ministry isn't just clearly seen in these three stories in the first chapter of Mark. It's clearly seen in the rest of Mark. Think back about what you read this week. Uh, In the very next story in Mark, Mark chapter two, what happens? Jesus finally goes back into Capernaum. He finally goes back into Peter's house. He is teaching. Four men bring a paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing. They open up the roof uh, above Jesus. They put the man down in front of Jesus and Jesus acting on his instinct and acting on his core concern forgives the man of his sins. That's not what they were looking for. What does Jesus do? He says, okay, I'll heal him of his physical paralysis to prove to you in that physical healing that I have the power to give him spiritual healing. Uh, think about chapters three and four. The crowds are trapping Jesus uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Mark says that they were so aggressive, they were nearly crushing him. Uh, they, they were crushing him, trying to get close to him, realizing that if they touched him, power would come from him and they would be healed. What does Jesus do? Does he teleport himself to another place? Well, he does that later, but not in chapters three and four. Does he get everyone into a line and say, look, line up people, I'll lay down, you can walk by and touch? What does he do? He tells his disciples, get me a boat. One, I got to get far enough away from them that they can't touch me. And two, I got to be close enough to them that they can hear me. Why? His core concern is teaching. And again, the big idea this morning is this, as Christians, as disciples, Jesus's core concern in life has to become our core commitment in life. The big idea is this, we don't get to pick and choose what it means for us to follow Jesus. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to align our core commitment to his core concern. The player doesn't say to the coach, I'll play for you, but I'm gonna run the offense that I want when I want. The player finds out from the coach, the offense the team is gonna run and then chooses whether or not they wanna play on that team. The staffer doesn't tell the political candidate, I'm gonna support your campaign by going out and promoting whatever idea I want and whatever order I want. The staffer first understands the the candidate's platform and then decides if they wanna support and work for that candidate. The salesman doesn't join a sales force and sell whatever product they want. They first understand the product being sold and decide if they wanna join that team. The big idea of Mark chapters one through five is this. It is utterly incongruent for the disciple of Jesus to say they're following Jesus unless point one, the core concern in Jesus's life is point two, the core commitment of their life. Maybe you were able to participate in CBR this week and this arrested you in the same way it arrested me. Maybe uh, you read Mark one through five and God pressed upon you uh, other truths that that were not as radioactive uh, for me. Uh, Maybe you didn't get the the chance to read Mark this week. But what I want everyone to do is to go home and read Mark one through five. And I want you to see uh, all that I just said about Jesus's core concern And I want you to see the core commitment he calls his disciples to in at least three places where he tells humans to follow him. In chapter one, Jesus calls four fishermen into discipleship. What does he say to them? Very famously, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So to start, uh, any one of my children age six and up can understand uh, that Jesus is saying discipleship is about intentionally and purposefully catching humans. But more than that, anyone familiar with the Old Testament, like these four men, would have known that fishing was an Old Testament image for God sending prophets to the exiled people for the purpose of bringing them back to God through repentance and faith. The disciples didn't hear in the core of their call from Jesus, I'm going to teach you how to physically heal people, although they would do that. And they did not hear, I'm going to teach you how to do exorcisms, although they would cast out demons. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to go and bring people back to me through the sharing of the gospel and through, through the call to repentance and faith. In chapter two, verses 13 through 17, it's our call to worship this morning. Jesus calls Levi into discipleship. And to Levi, he simply says, follow me. And then right away, you see Jesus in Levi's house, catching some humans. You see Jesus exploring Levi's network, calling sinners to himself through Levi. In chapter three, of all the people following Jesus around, Jesus calls 12 of them to himself. And he says, I want you to come and be really close to me because I'm gonna send you out to do what? Preach and have authority to cast out demons. Tomorrow in Mark chapter six, we're gonna see these disciples being sent out two by two. And we're gonna see that, that the proclaiming of the gospel, the calling for, for, for repentance is the core commitment of a disciple. We will see them uh, exercising demons, we will see them healing the sick. But in the flow of Mark it's easy to see that those are secondary and tertiary to the primary purpose of Jesus in sending them. Can I ask us a few questions? This is going to hurt. How long has it been since we shared the gospel with a coworker, a neighbor, a relative, a friend. Have we ever shared the gospel with anyone and called them to repentance? Do we resemble Jesus in this way? Are we imitating Jesus in this way? How long has it been since we risked the approval of another or the comfort of a relationship by sharing the gospel with someone or by calling someone to repentance and faith? Have we defined Christianity as being willing to stop and show compassion to someone on the way to work when Jesus defines Christianity as stopping and showing someone compassion on the way to telling somebody about Jesus? Have we let the world, our society, and our culture tell us which parts of Jesus's life are hip and acceptable and cool to imitate? Or have we let our king tell us and define for us what discipleship means. The world with a vague sense of who Jesus is, uh, the world with a vague sense of who Jesus was says Christians should be more like Jesus. Christians should be sacrificial and non judgmental and humble and compassionate, and Christians should stop evangelizing and stop proselytizing people. That's from Satan. The world doesn't seem to know Jesus. In addition to all of those things and more, Jesus endeavored to be the greatest evangelist of all time. If we're gonna be more like Jesus, we're gonna be all that Jesus was while proclaiming the gospel to to, to the hearts and lives of the people we live life with. The church in capitulation to the world has by and large decided to pursue the secondary and tertiary concerns of Jesus instead of pursuing that which was primary to Jesus. And again, I am not saying that we shouldn't be concerned with a person's physical well-being. I am not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about a person's physical environment. All I'm saying is that the enemy is very glad for us to follow Jesus however we want, so long as we don't follow Jesus the way Jesus commands. The enemy is glad for us to simply and only clean the teeth of every person who will forever gnash those teeth together in hell the enemy will take the deal every time and he will be glad for us to only provide people with clean water so long as they forever thirst. The enemy is glad and will forever take the exchange of us only giving physical bread to people so long as we don't give them Jesus, the bread of heaven. The enemy is glad for us to work on people's physical sickness so long as we don't do anything intentional about their spiritual and eternal sickness. The enemy knows that those without Christ are glad to take physical blessing without the spiritual call to repentance. Now, my guess is that these questions, if we've been willing to listen to them, I haven't used the word evangelism yet very often. That usually shuts us down. Don't wanna go there. Don't like that word. That was my parents' word. All the cool hip authors are writing about other things right now. We don't write about evangelism my guess is that if we're letting ourselves uh, listen to what Jesus says and does and if we're reflecting uh, upon these questions I I think we're unnerved right now I think we're unsettled right now I think that to a a degree at least we have pointed to a significant area uh, of needed growth in our lives am I right? Based on my knowledge of me, based on my knowledge of some of you, and based on my knowledge of us as a church, we lack integrity in this conversation. There is a large incongruence between Jesus' Jesus's concern and our commitment. And if that's the case for us, and since that's the case for me, I wanna, I wanna conclude by, by giving some thought to what can be done about it. Listen closely, this is gonna be confusing, but I hope to clear it up. The core communication of Jesus's life and ministry has to increasingly become the core communication into my life so that Jesus's core concern can increasingly become the core commitment of my life. Huh? Said differently. We have to hear and believe Jesus's core message to us if we're gonna communicate that message to other people. In order to proclaim and share the gospel more, we have to hear and receive the gospel more. I've made a serious mistake. I have not included in your worship folder or your worship folder insert, Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. I put a lot of chapter one in the sermon text. I put some of chapter two in the call to worship, but I don't have chapter one, verses 14 through 15 anywhere. And this is why it's super important for you to hear these verses. These verses contain the core communication of Jesus' life and ministry to us, his people. So, in other words, as you read through Mark, you're going to read of Jesus preaching and proclaiming, and you're going to read of the disciples preaching and proclaiming. And Mark thinks you've already heard what the message is that they're proclaiming. He gives it to you in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Listen closely. The core communication we need to hear in order to proclaim. This is the core communication we have to hear and believe ourselves more fully to to proclaim it and to share it with others more fully. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's Jesus's core, core communication. Okay, you ready? You can be in a relationship with God. You can be a part of the glorious and eternal kingdom of God. And here's how. Repent. Acknowledge your wrong. Confess your sins. Own that you've looked for life and other realities besides Jesus. Own that you have sought salvation and approval and comfort and wanting to be cool. Jesus is saying, you can be a part of what I'm doing. And the first step is to repent. He is saying, you can enjoy a loving relationship with God as Father. You can, by grace, be a part of all that I'm doing now and forevermore. If you first repent, and if you second, believe in the gospel. That is believing in Jesus. Believing that in Jesus, you have the forgiveness of your sins, even the ones being discussed this morning. That is believing in Jesus, that you have the righteous record and the resume of Jesus. That that, that means believing that in Jesus, you have the Father's approval. Believing in Jesus, that the eternal comforts of the new heaven and and the new earth are awaiting for you. So what will compel us to tell others of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God in Christ? Believing... Actually believing in the grace, mercy, and forgiveness we have for not telling them sooner. And believing that the approval we have is in Jesus and in his life and not in anything we could do in this life. And believing uh, that the forgiveness we have is in Jesus' death and not in anything we can do uh, from here moving forward. For Jesus's core concern to increasingly become our core commitment, we have to increasingly hear and receive this core communication first to us so that we can proclaim it and share it with others. Why don't we share our faith more? Why aren't we practicing more strategy in our relationships? The biblical answer is this. It's because we don't believe the message we've been sent to share. For me, in addition to trying to find life and approval and comfort, I and some of my relationships think that the person is too far gone, too sinful, too dead in their sins. And what I need to hear Jesus say to me today in the present tense is repent. Repent for that pride of thinking you're better than anyone. Repent for doubting my resurrection power and thinking that you weren't as dead in your sins when I brought you to life. Repent for being more concerned over your temporal comfort than their eternal discomfort. You think they're bad, how wicked is your pride and self-centeredness? You see, I have to repent and confess my sin and confess how wicked I was and still am so that I can experience the grace of God and believe that that grace can reach them because if it can reach me, it can reach anyone. I'm a complex person. In other relationships, I think the person's too close to me and I think they've seen too much of me and I think they've seen too much of my sin. And in those relationships, I've forgotten that the core message of the gospel is repent and believe in Jesus somehow in my heart, I've made the core communication, repent and do better. Instead of repent and believe that Jesus did it all. In my life, when Jesus has used me to bring someone into the family, it has always been, as I modeled current present tense confession of sin and current present tense faith in Jesus. God has never used me to bring someone else into the kingdom by confessing past sins and telling them how good I'm doing right now. Sometimes, ironically, I need to hear the present tense voice of Jesus saying, repent. And then I will share the gospel more. And sometimes I need to hear the present tense voice of Jesus saying, believe. And then I will find myself sharing the gospel more. But either way, to make his core concern my core commitment, I have to hear more deeply and readily his core message to myself that I might give it to other people. Let's pray. Most gracious God and heavenly father, we thank you that our righteousness is in Christ alone. Uh, We thank you, Jesus, um, that You uh, did all that you commanded us to do and then you died on the cross for all that we have done and haven't done. Uh, We thank you for the gospel that uh, in these sermons uh, that so quickly uh, shine light on sin and rebellion and pride and fear in us. We thank you that the gospel also at the same time holds us up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a deeper taste of this message that we might uh, be more inclined to share this message with others. We pray that you would meet us uh, in our area of need right now with yourself so that we would move forward proclaiming you and not ourselves. We pray that you would make this church and the friends I have in this church and you would make myself, we pray that you would make us more committed to your primary concern at this point in the work you're doing. Jesus, would you help us to be more like you in total? Would you help us to not be just a part of who you are, but more fully all that you are as individuals and as a church? We pray this in your name, amen.